We're going to read the entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, so if you would just want to follow along with me, uh, we'll begin in verse 1. I'll be reading from the um, English Standard Version, and so if you have another version, it might be a little bit different, but the same theme is consistent. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of, the one, of one Spirit." For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am, not a, I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the, of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I find it a little bit interesting as we go throughout the text here to see the um, sense of uh, kind of a, a jab or kind of a poking at them about some of these things that really don't make any sense. If you can, it's almost, it's drawing a picture for you in your mind of if you just had a gigantic ear walking around or wouldn't be walking around, would it? It would be just existing there or a, a giant eye would be there, but there would be no other parts. And we would, we would laugh at that. And I think it's meant to be somewhat comical as the Apostle Paul writes it. He's really taking a, a shot at this issue of um, people thinking that they're, that they're the only part of the body that's necessary. And the, the Lord uses this type of, of um, writing to, to help us to see the, the insignificance or the, the lack of intellect in regards to how we often, um, how we often argue for things. And so just, just think about that as you read through a portion like that. There's, it's meant to be somewhat comical. It's meant to bring a smile and a laugh to you and just kind of like, this is, 
This doesn't fit, doesn't make any sense. And so when you think about the body of Christ, the church, and you see one person that is the only, thinks they're the only person or the only significant person, you, you know that that's, not, that's out of place. It ought to make you laugh, right? It, it ought to make you laugh when somebody thinks that they're the only person that matters. And that's the, the gist of this, of this um, type of writing. Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, dis- we bestow the greater honor and our um, unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts do not require But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, and there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffer, all members all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, just note this and underline or circle if you do in your Bibles, that word you, he's talking to the church at Corinth, but he's talking to us. And we can take this very, very personally. And we can take this very, very practically. Now you are the body of Christ. You, Grace Bible Church of Hollister, California, you are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. All of this stuff is meant to apply, to be applicable to the body of Christ in the first century as much as it's meant to be applicable to the body of Christ in the 21st century. And if the Lord tarries, it will continue to be applicable to the body of Christ and one of the unique characteristics of God's word is that it, it, it passes generations. It never, it never becomes dull. It never runs out of, of influence. It, it's, it's always practical no matter what generation you're living in. So we can read God's word and we can live out the things in God's word and expect for um, God to bless those things. Now you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, um, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you, and I will, sh- and I will show you still a more excellent way. And you, you'll notice that we won't go into it, but chapter thirteen and fourteen talk about that more excellent way, where it deals with the internal things. Chapter thirteen is all about love, and it's about loving with the, a Christ-like love. The 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 heart behind the use of our spiritual gifts is love. And then the better gifts, as mentioned in chapter 14, is the gift of, of prophecy. It's preaching or communicating God's word. Is the, is communicating God's word is, is the, um, it's not the highest gift because of the importance of the individual, but it's the highest gift from the importance of what's being accomplished. Uh, it is, it is, it is the, 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 the gift that um, spreads the gospel, spreads God's word around. Has any, have any of you 
And just think about this from at the beginning of our message. Have any of you ever been told that your involvement in Christ church is as important as the functioning engine in a car or a functioning heart to a human body? While the functioning engine and the functioning heart are independently important, neither of them is independently able to accomplish the overall design overall design purpose. These two very important parts must function relationally within their respective systems in order to accomplish the design goal. The average car has approximately 30,000 parts, and no one part is able to accomplish the car's purpose. But rather, the 30,000 parts working together accomplish the car's purpose. The human body consists of approximately 78 organs, 206 bones, 600 muscles, and 100 trillion cells. And no one part is able to accomplish the body's design purpose, but rather it is the working of all of these parts together that accomplishes the purpose for the car and for the body. You will notice in both cases, it is the relational harmony of all of the parts It is the relational harmony of all of the parts that accomplishes the purpose for the whole. The individual role of each part is what knits it together with the rest of the parts and allows it to accomplish its goals. Let me say that again. Okay, let me say that again. It is the relational harmony of the the parts that accomplishes the design purpose. The individual role of each part is what knits us together. The individual role, each one of us having an individual role and an individual purpose, is what knits us together with the other parts so that we can accomplish the goal that God has for us. Let me read to you out of Colossians 2 where it talks about this. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not um, seen me face to face, that their heart may be encouraged being knit together. There's that term of being knit together. And if if you've done knitting or crocheting or whatever it might be, whatever it's called, um, Whoever might do, I I have no idea of those things. I know the very basics of them, but I know that you knit things together. You you put them together. And when it's done, it's it's many different parts, but when it's done, it's a a finished product. It, it, It looks complete. It looks finished. It looks like it's all one part, but yet it's many parts. He says that being knit together, being being sewn together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ Jesus. Since the design purpose, since the design purpose of, of the church is the glory of God, as noted in 1 Corinthians 10.31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's also noted in Spurgeon's Catechism number one, which is what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Since since the design purpose of man is um, is to glorify God, then it is necessary for mankind to work interdependently. 
It is necessary for mankind and the church specifically to work interdependently in order for us to accomplish our goal. In other words, not, not any single part is able to accomplish the goal that God has put on the church, the purpose that God has put on the church, the motive that God has put on the church. Not one part is able to accomplish it, but it's only accomplished by every part working together, functioning together, ministering together to the glory of God. This is how we function in such a way that God's glory gets maximized, is we work interdependently, we depend on each other, and we do it for the glory of God, and we do it by his strength. This principle is not only taught in regards to vehicles and bodies, but this is something that the Lord has established all the way back in Genesis chapter number 2. In Genesis chapter number 2, God gives Adam a command to care for the garden. You'll remember the story back in Genesis 2. He says, here's what you're commissioned to do, Adam. You're commissioned to till the garden, to care for the garden, to, to work the garden is the word that's used there. Your job is to make sure this garden is well taken care of. And then in the midst of Adam's work, the Lord stops him and says, Adam is not meant to be alone In the midst of of his work, in the midst of Adam's ministry, and Adam wasn't falling short in his ministry. Adam wasn't wasn't, um, needing a second hand to till the garden, to care for the garden. God says in the midst of Adam's work, in the midst of Adam's ministry, God says you're not meant to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. So he makes Adam a what? A helper, a, a help meet. The term literally means someone that completes. Someone that completes someone else. Because ultimately Adam's goal was not to, Adam's calling and Adam's ministry was not tilling of the garden. But Adam's ministry was glorifying God. And Adam's ministry was not, it was not capable of him fulfilling that ministry without there being somebody with him to accomplish the purposes for which God created him. So God stops him in the middle of his ministry. He says, I'm going to bring somebody into your world that's going to complete you. And, he's going, and she is going to complete you in such a way, not that she's going to walk beside you and you're going to sow one seed and she's going to sow another seed. And not in that way, but she's going to, she's going to complete you in the sense of glorifying God as you and your wife and later children work together to manifest the glory of God. This principle is seen in life and how God structured life to be independent. It's, it's pictured in how God has structured marriage, that we live interdependent of each other, that we work together. The Lord says in Genesis chapter number two, after creating Eve in the middle of, the, of Adam's ministry, he creates Eve and then he tells Adam, Adam, leave your father and mother. In other words, Adam, you're no longer a completer of your family, but now you have a new family. Now you are working with glorifying me through your harmony and your interdependence, not with your mom and dad, but you're now working to glorify me through your independence with Eve. You have a new partner in ministry. You have a new partner in what your purpose is. Your partner is no longer your mom and dad, but your partner now is your wife. That's why he says, leave your father and mother and be cleaved together. 
That idea of being knitted together is tied there. It's the idea of being glued together. Two parts becoming one. He says two shall become one. They don't become one physically, do they? They become one spiritually. They become one in their, in their pursuit of the glory of God because it takes people working together to manifest the glory of God. So these individual roles are important because they are what knit us together. They are what give us a purpose for the glory of God. It is so important that we understand this because we live in a generation, we live amongst a people that have, that where we have, um, we have began the process of receiving the devil's lie of undermining the roles that God has put into our world, that God put into our world at creation that he established from the very beginning, and Satan has lied to us, and he's deceived us, and he's tried to undermine those roles, and he's saying women are not as important if they live in this role, and men are more important if they live in this role. It's all a lie of the devil, because what he's doing is he's undermining our ability to glorify him. Satan is destroying the significance of, of being, of of completing each other in glorifying God by causing us to resist the roles that God has put us in. These roles are important for knitting us together. If men don't need women anymore, and women don't need men anymore, we become a, so, a culture that is structured around homosexuality. If we've lost our roles and we've lost our purposes and we've allowed Satan to come in and undermine and destroy those things. Submission is one of the most horrible words of our culture today. You don't say submission without getting certain looks from the people that you're talking to. And especially when you associate submission to a woman. Yet at the same time, Jesus Christ himself was spoken of as the most submissive person in the world, and you never see him arguing that, don't call me submissive. It was a glory to him to be submissive to the Father. It was a part of his role in the Trinity and in it working together. We've got to get past this deception that the devil has placed on us that these roles need to be broken down because it is in these roles that we glorify God. It is in the completion of each other that we glorify God. It's in what he's created us to do and what he's created others to do that we glorify God. If we're not interdependent, we cannot and will not be able to glorify God. And the only way to glorify God is by being interdependent, working together, being knit together by the ministries that God has called us to do. This is why we're in this ministry fair today. We want to find out where you fit into the ministry of this church. Where are your gifts? What are you called to do? So I want to take um, the remainder of our time this morning and just break down our text here so that we can see a few things about how this works, how this functions, how we work into interdependently in the church. And there are roles. There are roles and responsibilities. There are um, roles that are specific in the scriptures to men. There are roles that are specific in the scriptures to women. There are roles in the scriptures that are not specific to men or women. 
And, and, and none of those roles are meant to demean anyone. Matter of fact, folks, if we can get past the fact that, if we can get past, or if we can get, let me, let me say it this way, if we can get to the point where, the, where, where our life is not about us, This stuff all goes away when we start living life for his glory and not our own glory. For his rights, not our own rights. For his will and not our own will. Then we can ultimately glorify God in our families, strong families, strong churches, strong communities. We, we begin to do that by embracing what God has made us for, what he has structured us to accomplish. So let's look at some of these things, specifically in relation to the church. Let's look at some of how this functions, okay? So the first thought, if you're taking notes, is the example and the goal, the example and the goal of these ministries or of spiritual gifts or of roles, if you will. The example and the goal of these roles, all right? And again, church, family, however you want to, specifically this morning, we're going to talk about church, First of all, our example for these roles is the Trinity. Our example for these roles is the Trinity. Look what he says right away. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but it is the same Lord, which is another term used for Christ. It's the Greek word is kurios. It just means master. It's Christ's role. There are many, uh, many gifts, many varieties, but the same spirit. There are, many, um, uh, there are varieties of service, but it's the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So what we see right off the bat is we see the introduction of the Trinity. The picture that the church plays, the role that the church plays in Glorifying God is that they manifest, that we manifest the Holy Spirit of God, or not the Holy Spirit of God, but the Trinity, the working together, the interworking, the interdependence of the Godhead. We manifest the, inter, the interdependence of the Godhead. And, and you look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what you see all throughout scriptures is you see three distinct persons, but you see one God. You see them being knit together in absolutely every way, aren't they? They're knit together in every way. They're knit together in their purpose. They're knit together in what they accomplish. They're knit together in every way, yet they are. It's almost like if you took three strands, three um, pieces of material, three different colors, three distinct colors, but you weave them together in such a way that in the end it was just, just beautiful um, blanket or towel or whatever it might be. It's the same picture that we're experiencing here is that you have three distinct persons and we have here this morning maybe a hundred distinct persons. And we are called, our example for glorifying God and working in the ministry is that of the Trinity. It is the Father, it is the interdependence and the interworking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One purpose one mission, one people, one gospel, one glory, one truth, varying functions and varying ministries. This, in, in, this in, in every way defines what the Trinity is. 
The Father designs, and this goes back to creation, and it also applies to salvation. We see it in creation, salvation. We see it in sanctification and glorification. We see the Trinity's working being very similar to that what the church is called to in all of these ways. The Father designs and plans. He elects, he predestines, he justifies. The Son accomplishes and builds. He's born, he dies, he resurrects, he intercedes. He, he creates The Spirit regenerates and gives life. He convicts, he regenerates, he sanctifies. All of these are working together to accomplish a one word, salvation. The Trinity is the example that we have through which and why which we function the way that we do in our church. This Trinitarian, Trinitarian unity and uniqueness are an example to us of how we should function. 1 John 5 and verse 7 says to us, and I'm going to read out of the King James, just because I think it gives a more fuller understanding of this verse, and there is some debate over its, over its interpretation and how it should be written, but this helps us understand the Trinity a little bit better. 1 John 5, 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And this is not the only verse in the Bible that deals with the Trinity being three distinct and one, but it is one of many. So our our example is the Trinity. How do we function together? And listen, no part of the Trinity complained. Jesus didn't say, you know what, Spirit, why don't you die on the cross? This is going to be real painful here, right? You don't see that. You don't see this complaining about you do this and you, it's not, it's not there. There's this, there's in, in each part of the Trinity, there's this embracing of roles. And the only reason why we have a, in our culture, the only reason why we have a disdain for roles is because we're against, we're, our culture, listen, our culture is opposed to God. It is not for God. It is against God. It hates everything that God stands for. So therefore, if God loves to put things into roles and that through the interworking of those roles to glorify himself, how do you think Satan's going to respond to that? Right? Is it not true that 60 plus, marriage, 60 plus percentage of marriages ended in divorce today? We can raise our hands and say, how many of you believe that that's the work of God or the work of the devil? The devil is very persuasive. He is the greatest deceiver and the greatest liar that there is out there. And he works through the systems of our world. He works through the world's systems. Our goal is to manifest the Trinity. Our goal, our purpose, our example is the Trinity. Here's how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit worked. And yet, they were perfectly in unity. Here's how we should work. This is how he created man this is how he created marriage. This is how he created the church. All of them are his, are, his, are his work. So that is our purpose. That is, that is our example. And our goal is simply to glorify him. And when I say glorify, I mean it's to manifest him. It is to, it is to reflect him. The world has no... The, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit... Um, are the Trinity, the world cannot see them lest they see them through us. In other words, the, the world should be able to look at the church, um, Grace Bible Church of Hollister, and they should be able to say, you know something, there's something spiritual, there's something unique about them, and we can say that we're functioning as if 
being a reflection of the Godhead, the Trinity. And what's interesting about the Trinity and the Godhead is it's one of the most um, difficult doctrines in the Bible to explain. I've heard people try to explain it by saying the, the egg, you know, the, the white, the yolk, and the, and the shell, three in one, one egg, well, you know, forgive me for that one. Um, the water, H2O, two parts, one, two parts uh, one part hydrogen, two parts oxygen, or whatever it is. Three in one, you have, you have one thing existing in three parts. The problem with that is, is those, those, those analogies that they try to create, those analogies always fall short. You know what most theologians do when they try to, when they try to um, develop an analogy to describe the Trinity? Do you know what they ultimately do? They, they ultimately revert to fatalism and they just say, we can't understand it. Harold Lenzel said this, the mind of man cannot fully understand the mystery of the Trinity. He who has tried to understand the, full, the mystery um, fully will lose his mind, but he who, will, who would, but he, listen to this, he who would desire to understand the mystery of the Trinity fully will lose his mind, but he who denies the existence of the Trinity will lose his soul. The reason it's impossible or difficult for us to understand the Trinity today is because we're using eggs and water. What has God given us to understand the Trinity? He's given us the church. He's given us a body of people who all have different gifts, all have different talents, all all have different strengths, and all have different weaknesses. And he's saying to you and to me, all right, knit yourself together like I am knitted to the Father and the Father is knitted to me and the Spirit is knitted to all of us. John, John 17 tells us it this way when he says, that even as the Father is one, I'm I'm, going to paraphrase, so forgive me for paraphrasing, but even as the Father and Christ and the Holy Spirit are one, so his desire is, is that we be one. And then he says, so that the world might know that I have sent you. So the world is convinced of something based upon how we function, and our oneness says to the world that God has sent us or sent him. Does that make sense? It's, it's important that we get this because this is significant to how we function as the church. As the church, the Trinity is meant to bring understanding for things that are impossible to understand. It is in the family. It should also be in the church. Number two, the source and design of the Trinity. Verse number seven says this. To each is given the manifest, uh, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, okay? Um, so, so, so understand this. The source of the Trinity is this is the manifestation of the Spirit. And the Bible talks about in verse number 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So that the power behind the spiritual gifts that we, that we communicate, the power behind the unity that we have is the, is the Spirit's power. It is the Spirit of God working through us, manifesting himself through, through the body working together. It's not, it's not about the each individual part, but it is about the same, the same Spirit functioning through each individual part. So the Trinity is, is, is omnipresent. It means he's everywhere at the same time. So he exists, if you're a believer, he exists inside of you this morning. 
And, and the, way that the, the way that the unity and the way that God is glorified is by each one of us getting out of the way and letting the Spirit of God be seen through us. The source behind our spiritual gifting is not our strength, but it is his strength. It is not our abilities, it is his abilities. If we function within our own abilities, listen, every time a situation that comes into your way that is difficult, you will end up being mad, which does not lead to unity. It leads to division. But if you let the Holy Spirit work in that situation, it leads to patience, it leads to grace, it leads to mercy, it leads to forgiveness, which creates unity, right? That's, so it's not us functioning in our own strengths to accomplish the glory of God. It's the Holy Spirit functioning through us that accomplishes the glory of God. This is why um, in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, they're not our fruits, but they're his fruits. They're his working through us. You say, Pastor John, I can never do that. It's, it's against my very nature, right? It's, it's against who I am to, to be like that or to, to do that or to perform that role or whatever. Listen, that's okay. That's fine. It's against my nature to, to, to not get angry, but I'm still called to not get angry. It's against my nature to be forgiving, but I still am called to be forgiving. It's against my nature to be kind, but I'm still called to be kind. It's against my nature to turn to Christ when I'm in struggles but, because I want to turn to the flesh, but that's what I'm called to do. And I'm not called to do it in my own strength, but I'm called to, to remove myself from the situation and to let Christ do it through me. That's why the, God, that's why the word of God is so clear. The, the Christian life is all about dying to yourself. I, Paul says, I die daily. I die every day to myself. The only way that the church can function properly is that every individual within it starts to die to themselves every day. And then the Holy Spirit of God is exactly the same in you as he is in me, and then we start having harmony together. Do you know when we have disharmony together? It's not because your spirit is different than my spirit. Do you know why it is? Because your flesh or my flesh is getting in the way. The Bible says in Proverbs, only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. So the, 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 the Holy Spirit is the strength, the source behind. He is, for lack of another term, he is the active participant in the church glorifying God, and we are the passive participants. We are the ones through whom he is working it doesn't mean that we don't labor hard like the Apostle Paul says, but he is the one who is working. Let me illustrate it to you this way. It's like plagiarism. It's like when you plagiarize, you take something that somebody else has done and you put your name to it. We plagiarize the Holy Spirit a lot, don't we? He is doing things through us. He is doing things in us. It's not for us to take credit for it. It's not for us to plagiarize him. It's for us to give him credit and to give him glory. And listen, folks, when you realize that it is the Spirit of God working through you, you will also realize that nothing is impossible, right? When the Lord says nothing is impossible for God, he says in another text, nothing is impossible for you. Well, how is that possible? Because God lives inside of you. So God, the Spirit of God, empowers the spiritual gifts. And then secondly, in regards to the, the design, God designs the way the gifts work. He says in verse 24, he says, but God has composed the body, 
And then it goes on to describe some other things, but let's just stop there. God has composed the body. In other words, this, this term means that God has composed this body this morning. Every single person that's in here is in here because God has composed this body in the way that he wants it to be. That's exactly what it means. He has composed this church. He has composed Grace Bible Church to be Grace Bible Church. And we, can get, we can get off track and thinking that, man, if we had this person or, man, if we had that person, no, God has composed this body, okay? Just say that to yourself in your mind. God has composed this body. God has structured this body. God has brought the people into this body that he wants to be here. God has composed it. God has put it together. It is his job to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and I will say this to you. He has done quite a good job. Amen? He always does a good job of composing what he composes. He never fails at it. God is the one that has composed the church in the way that it is to be composed. Everyone needed for Grace Bible Church to be successful is here right now in this moment. And if God decides that next week there's something more needed, then he'll bring it into the fold because he's the one that's composing the church. Matthew uh, says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I heard a preacher say recently, the problem with most churches is, is that we're building the church. I will build my church. God is the designer. The Holy Spirit is the power behind it. God is the designer of it. He says in verse number 18, not only has God constructed it, but verse 18 says, but as it is, God arranged the members. So, so notice this, in, in one tense, in one sense, he has brought all the puzzle pieces together for a purpose. But not only that, but the Bible goes one step further to say that he is putting the puzzle pieces where they belong. He is, he is not only composing the church, but he's arranging the individual gifts in the church for the purpose of accomplishing the greater means, which is the glory of God. When the church becomes about the individual parts, then the church loses its purpose. You know, that engine can purr really, really nicely, right? Without ever being in a car. That engine can purr really, really nicely, right? But you put it into a car and it actually accomplishes stuff. You put it into a system and something happens because of that engine. God not only composes the church, the body, but he arranges it. He puts, it's, it's almost like a coach saying, hey, you're in left field, you're in right field, you're in center field, hey, you're shortstop. It's, it's, it's putting pieces, and I, and I love the way that the, the, the scriptures describe this because it's putting pieces where they belong, and the one who knows those pieces better than anybody else is the one who's placing them where they belong. God God composed the church with who he wants there. God is now arranging the church with the way that he wants it to be arranged so that he can accomplish his purposes through us. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for that? Lastly, this morning, the function and the caution of the ministry or the, the gifts. He tells us lastly, there's three simple functions he says in verse number seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. If you uh, have time, look at 1 Corinthians 14. Um, the spiritual gifts are given for the body, 
for everybody's good in the body. And in other words, that each gift that you have in the church is, is never going to be meant for the benefit of one or two or even your little group or your little segment or your little clique or whatever it might be. The Bible says that the gifts are given so that, so that all might benefit from them. They're not meant to divide or subdivide the church. They're meant to unify the church as one body. I've been pastoring for um, about 20 years now, and I've seen several churches that were splintered by their ministries. They had all the different ministries going on, but all those different ministries going on sooner or later became their own individual church. It's not the way it's meant to be. It's meant to be one body. And yes, it has many different ministries and many different functions, but every ministry and every function that's within the body, every gifting that's within the body ought to be ought to be affecting the whole body. It ought to be impacting. So, so our youth group is over there on Wednesday nights, right? And they're, and they're having fun. They're playing games. They're, they're uh, eating food. They're studying God's word. But listen to me. Our youth group shouldn't just be doing those things for the sake of the youth group, right? But the youth group should in, be impacting the whole body. The youth group is not his own church, it's not its own ministry. It's a part of this body. And it should be, the things that they're studying over there should be manifesting itself in the body. The same thing with the home. What those kids learn in that ministry over there should, should be impacting the way that they treat their parents. It should be impacting the glory of God. So, so the first um, function is, is to function for the common good. Galatians 6 and verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Edification, encouragement, help, accountability, administration, admonishment, whatever might be the case, we're, we're meant to work together for the common good. Number two, it is to avoid division. He says in verse number 25, that there be no division in the body. And the word division here is translated in some other versions as the word schism or split or gap in the church. The, the spiritual gifts, the interdependence that, that is a result of these spiritual gifts, the need, listen, the need for each other is what creates the, what is what, is what resists the idea of being split. The more we need each other, the more we see how much we need each other. Husbands and wives, the same thing. The more you see how much you need your wife, the less likely you are going to be to want to have conflict with her. The more you're going to resist conflict because you know you have a need of her. You're, you're knit together. The, the church is the same way. The ministries are presented, they're, they're created, they're organized and structured in such a way that we're knit together so that we avoid division. We avoid schisms and strife. And if you go over to 1 Corinthians 3 in your own time, you will find that um, divisions and strife in the church are a result of immaturity as believers or even lack of faith and, and lack of the Holy Spirit. So that they're, meant to, they're, they're meant to keep us from being, from being divided. And I wrote this down. Proper ministry is proper ministry... If you're writing notes, this is probably a good thought. Proper ministry is structured by God to avoid division. Proper ministry is structured by God to avoid division. 
So when we see a church that's divided, what we can conclude is, is that's not the way God meant it to be. God didn't structure it to be divided. He structured it to be united. So if that is the case, the wrong function of ministry must be the problem. And then we don't look to God as the problem, but we look to us as the problem. We get on our knees humbly before God. We forgive those who have hurt us. We, we have grace towards those who are different than us. We are humble about ourselves, right? We have, we have hope for the future. We have all of these things going for us because we, because we know that God has not organized this place to be a, divisive, to be a divided place. See, ultimately, the glory is him. The way that we glorify him is by being interdependent on each other, and being divided is the exact opposite of being interdependent on each other. And therefore, in the end, what ultimately gets hurt? What ultimately gets hurt? Does it, does it matter that we're divided against ourselves from a human perspective? What matters is that he is hindered. His glory is hindered. His praise is hindered. His worship is hindered. His exaltation is hindered. His revelation is hindered. We need to make it about him and not about us. It makes it a little bit more serious. He says, for the common good, the ministry function is for the common good, number one. Number two, it's to avoid division, and number three, it is to create a proper and balanced care for one another. He says, if one of the members suffer, all the members suffer. He says before that, but every member may have the same care one for another. He talks about suffering together, rejoicing together, losing together, winning together. Um, everything, he talks about it being together. This is the, this is the, the interworking, the care, and the nurturing of each other in the church. The last thing, and it's the last, it's, this is the last sub-point, the caution. What is the caution? He gives us two cautions um, in verse number 14. Uh, the body does not consist of one member but of many, and the foot should not say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And, and, and you read, we read down through that. Just number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Jealousy that leads to inactivity. Jealousy that leads to inactivity. In other words, I am not as important as somebody else. I am not as significant as somebody else. My role is not as important as somebody else's role. This, this first of all, makes it about us, right? It's, it's not about us, is it? It's about God's glory. Make it not about you. Whatever God has called you to do, embrace it with all of your heart. If it, if it minimizes you, it's okay. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that you can increase. If what God calls you to do minimizes you, it's okay because he is being maximized. Jealousy that, comes, jealousy that comes by looking at what other people are gifted in, jealousy that comes by looking at what other people are doing, jealousy that comes by looking at those who are in the spotlight ultimately leads in many cases to a lack of, to a lack of involvement. I'm just not gonna do anything. I can't do anything important. There's nothing that takes place, listen, there's nothing that takes place at Grace Bible Church that's not important. Every ministry, from cleaning the bathrooms, and I could say this to you and we could raise our hands, how many of us like to go to the bathroom and clean bathrooms? And there would be a lot of people that raise their hands. That is important to this church. It doesn't, it's not any less important than anything else. If we let our bathrooms go for months and months on end, I guarantee you what would happen to this crowd right here, if they had to go, they would either go to the bathroom before they came or they wouldn't come anymore. 
And then they don't get to hear the word of God preached. So cleaning the bathrooms is directly connected to the word of God being preached. This is the idea of being knit together. It all flows together. There is no part more or no part or piece more important than the other pieces. They're knit together and their being knit together is what makes the beautiful canvas at the end. I mean, you, could take a, you can take a pile of paints and put them and lay them out, and they all look pretty nice together. But you take those pile of paints and put them in the hand of an artist, and they paint a beautiful picture, and that takes on a whole new meaning of those paints, right? This is the same principle. Jealousy that leads to inactivity. And then pride that leads to criticism. Well, look at me. I, I, am, uh, I, am, I am the hand, and I have no need for the feet. Or I am, I am the head and I have no need for the arms. Or I am the, the skin and I have no need for the heart. Or pride that leads to criticism that ultimately leads to division and, and, and frustration. James 4, 6, the Bible says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do we need God's grace here at, at Grace? Do we need God's grace? Will this church ever amount to anything without God's grace? Will it? Honestly. Will we ever accomplish anything meaningful if God is not here with us? The answer is a resounding no. We will never accomplish anything worthwhile if God doesn't choose to join us. And God doesn't join proud people. He joins humble people. Humility is the crux of it all. And the hardest thing that we face each and every day of our lives is the call to humility. Remember, only by pride cometh contention. We need God to be with us. We need God to join us. So we don't need to be proud about who we are or what we accomplish or what we do. We need to be humble about it. The cautions, jealousy leading to inactivity and pride leading to criticism. In closing... This is a beautiful family. What God has just described to us is, is the way that he structured his family, this church. In the same way, dads and moms, you have structures for your families and things that you like to do, God has structured his family. So with God as the designer, Christ as the purchaser, and the spirit as the administrator, how should we live out our spiritual gifts? Three simple things. Number one is contentment. Be satisfied with what God has called you to do. Be satisfied with what God has called you to do. Be content. Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, whatever condition I'm in, whatever place I am, I've learned to be content. And may I say this to you, that contentment and humility are synonymous. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, I'm totally humble, but I'm not content. Or I'm content, but I'm not, they're, 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 they're arm in arm, hand in hand. Be content with what God has called you to do. Number two, be happy for other people's giftings. Be happy for other people's successes. Be happy for other people's accomplishments. Be happy for what other people do for the Lord. Remember this, it's not about them anyway. When somebody else accomplishes something for the Lord, it's like saying, man, that is awesome because our God gets glorified. That's amazing because God gets uplifted. When, do we not, when are we not happy about another believer's success for the Lord? Is when we're not focusing on the Lord, but we're focusing on us. 
Be happy when other people succeed. And then lastly, use your gift. Romans 12 and verse 6 at the beginning, verse, uh, part A of that verse says this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. I love these last four words. Let us use them. I mean, how better to close it out? Use the gift that God has given you. Do your best with it. I, I like, if you go back to the book of, book of Malachi sometimes, sometime you'll see this, this debate going on between God and man. And man is always, man continually is offering God the second best. And God says to them, offer that to your boss. Offer that to your boss and see how he receives that offering to you. And then you're going to offer that to me, the God of the universe. So don't offer God your second best. Offer, offer God your first best. Don't give God the end of your, of your gift. Give him the beginning of your gift. And the principle of the tithe in the Bible was not just money. It was, it was a lot of different things. And it was always the first and not the last. I remember when we used to have missionaries come through the area, we would announce in our church, everybody gather up all the stuff that they don't need anymore because we're going to give it to the missionary, right? And no one, no one has ever been in a church like that before, right? It was like, and we begin to, our church, this is our church in Nebraska, we begin to think about what are we doing? What are we saying when we make that statement? Are we saying, God, you're worthy of our leftovers? And we started to evaluate that and we started to think about, you know what? Bring stuff that you think people, someone else might need. Bring something that would be a sacrifice for you to give to the Lord to be used in this missionary's home. Be a blessing to them, not just with your leftovers, but with your first fruits. We need to use our gifts in such a way as to glorify God. This morning, if you're here and you're not a part of the family of God, this is a beautiful, this picture that we have here in this text is a picture of what God's family looks like. And you know what? We're, we're, a, we're a striving, we're striving for the goal, aren't we? We haven't arrived. This is a wonderful church, but it's a church that has struggles. It's a church that's full of imperfect people, amen? But I'll tell you something. It's a beautiful thing. God's family is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And when it functions, when it functions rightly, it's a supernatural thing. You say, Pastor John, why do you say all that? I say that to invite you into the family. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never embraced the sacrifice that he made on the cross for your sins. You've never experienced the resurrection life in your own life. This is a, this is a wonderful thing. There's nothing, better, there's nothing better in life than being a part of God's family. And when God's family functions right, there's nothing, nothing, nothing better than it. I want to invite you this morning to come to Christ for salvation, to come into a relationship with him that makes you a part of his family, but also makes you a part of this family. You say, how do I do it, Pastor John? The scriptures tell us two things. It says to repent of our sins. Repent of those things that we trusted in to bring us into favor with God, other than Christ, and then embrace Christ by faith. It is to trust in him. The Lord tells us in First Corinthians or in Romans 10, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So my challenge to you this morning is this is a wonderful family. Being a part of God's being a part of God's family is an extraordinary thing, but He's inviting you to be a part of it. You say, Well, Pastor John, I just don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be a part of this group. Listen, not a one of us is worthy. 
but Jesus is worthy. And he will change and transform and impart to you a righteousness that is not your own. And he will make you worthy to be a part of his family. It's a wonderful thing. So I want to invite you to that this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, come up and talk to me at the end of the service. I would love to walk through it with you. One of our other elders would also love to walk through it with you. But we want you to be a part of the family. We want you to be a part of the family a lot. He wants you to be a part of the family more than we do. So come to him in repentance and faith and receive him and um, experience the life that he gives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Um, Thank you for your grace and your goodness to us as a church. And I pray that you would work with us, that you would continue to sanctify and cleanse us and and mold us and make us and place us and um, bring people into the church that need to be here so that you can be glorified in an extraordinary way. Help us to joy in each other's successes. Help us to mourn when other people mourn. Lord, just help us to be one as you are one in the Trinity. We be one as a church with you. Pray that you would bless um, the preaching of your word this morning, that we would take it home with us and let it impact the way that we function. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.